0: Welcome to another episode of our Founders Podcast. I'm your host Ash and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your business. In this episode, I talked to Tobin, the co-founder or primary founder of Virtual Road France actually. Tobin is a tech with the two roots from Banger Maine. He's a guy who's all about community and local businesses and his journey started with a newspaper delivery in the middle of May winter and some awesome comic book trades at the Wizard of Comics. Bangor taught him the value of his hometown and its book, which he which is why he's now running a cool project called A Hometown Main Feed to celebrate his roots. It's a way of giving back to the banger and all the friends and families who's been shaped by the same community spirit. But Toby is not just about nostalgia. He's also a tech guru with over two decades of experience in big cities like NYC, South Francisco and Atlanta. He's now bringing his expertise to virtual quests <laughs> and a game-changing platform for local businesses. Tobin is all about making sure local businesses stand out in the online world. And he's your go-to guy for all things tech and community. So keep an eye. I hope you enjoy the show. Tobin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me,
1: Ash. I'm looking forward to sharing with your founder audience, all about virtual storefronts
0: and the the years that I put in so far. Great. Do you have a favorite quote? Something that inspires or elevates you that you can share? I
1: do. Um, I have a lot of favorite quotes. I actually journal a lot. I, I keep I keep copious notes, as most founders do, I would assume. Um, so the quote that I'll share with you, which I I think I heard it from DHH, the D- David, he runs Basecamp and he does some hosting or whatever. Um, not all of his stuff is amazing, but this quote was really good. I remember. I think it came from him. Don't optimize too early. I thought that was just a an ingenious quote because there's a temptation, there's a, a, I don't know about others, but in me, there's a perfectionist inside and that perfectionist wants to deliver a perfect product to the the customer um, mm-hmm. right out of the gate. <clears throat> and I think that's a, you want to get, you want to deliver something that you, you can stand behind and our, you know, our first viable, like our minimum viable product uh, kind of rolled out in 2021. And it was, it's It's a completely different product than we have today, but that's thanks to um, the fact that we didn't optimize too early. and we listened to the uh, to our customers who essentially guided the development of the product from a simple website solution to uh, we started with a website solution. So two out of three of our local businesses here in Western North Carolina, um, where I'm doing the pilot, uh, rural, mostly rural businesses, uh, local mom and pop shops. Don't have a website. So we provided that website solution for them. Um, and then we uh, kind of put front and center, we, we include a set of keywords with every storefront, which is a website substitute that's hosted at virtualstorefronts.com. Um, mm-hmm. And keywords were always a part of that. But then we kind of um, create an HTML shell in order for them to be found much easier, move them into a more prominent spot so that shoppers could see them, and then uh, really pushed. Uh, google to index them so that it became a search engine optimization solution uh, as well uh, and then this at the end of last year 2022 kind of the beginning of this year we added in a live feed because some of our customers we wanted to make sure that everyone could be included with a product um that all because we're building a network at the end of the day that can accommodate 20 million local businesses that don't have franchise support in the united states we're kind of like the answer to a franchise because all the businesses can work together on virtual storefronts um, and become much bigger. So we wanted to make sure that everyone, there was no barrier for anyone to enter the network. Um, Even though it is paid, we wanted to make sure that it was as accessible as possible. So some of our customers were like, okay, great. uh, Cool SEO results. You're getting 30,000 hits a week or 30,000 a month um, in our pilot, which was great. It was, it was growing at a a very fast rate. Um, but they're like, oh, but we don't need that. Like, because certain people just don't want the SEO. when you're talking to the public, they, they, or they don't understand it or they don't care. Um, I already have my Facebook page. Um, so we added in the live feed to accommodate other, any business that was looking for something, uh, that was more active, uh, more engaging. And then, so we added that and as you know, so I, I think I can speak to any founder's um, experience starting a network, which almost, I mean, all, all new tech is in some way a network, I would say, um, because yes, it's looking yes. to scale up. Um, and so what we found is people are like, oh, okay, we, hit us with the next thing. We want, want this feed option. And what happened was uh, it's really hard to get people to engage in your network uh when your, your your audience is not huge when you're not scaled. so we had a problem where it's like they're already f- the just for the record, the network of record where I am is Facebook. Facebook is the 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 median age in this area is older. it's a re- kind of retired and uh, it's a vacation destination. So everyone's on Facebook and all the businesses are on Facebook so they don't want another Facebook. They don't want another digital chore to do, and we offer technology without the work is kind of the premise because they don't have to set up anything to get this website solution. So we were mm-hmm. kind of like, oh no, we're giving them something to do, and then you're like, oh, how do we deal with this? And we had to solve that problem
0: too. Yeah, so let's yeah. take, take some steps back. So okay. Yes. Could start with the with the code because that actually derived your business thing. And I was about to ask you about what exactly is virtual storefronts, but I'm guessing I've got a little bit of idea. Consider me a five year old, right? Maybe somebody who doesn't understand into that any at all. I have read the word first time virtual storefronts. I run a small business in. Your locality. Let's say I run a bakery, Uh right? I'm a 70 years old now, right? I don't understand. uh, What's your storefront? What does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping solve?
1: So uh, the product, so the, the people that we're helping are mostly people that don't have websites, although it we do have website designers who recommend virtual storefronts with a website, because we are simply boosting search, local search. Google is learning from us what we do. So, if I go, if you're if you're walking into a uh, a business and saying, "Hey," and this is this is how the pilot was done in person sales, and it took several months this year to translate our pitch into an online pitch, which is now. Um, which is now very like it, we've been working on it for two months straight. And and now if you go to this, you know, to virtual, to this, to this QR code right here, you will get the information. You, you you will get the, that's really what I would do with this guy. I would, I would send him to that because it's something that anyone can understand. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, without going into that, that, that sales page, I would say, you're not online because it's a huge hassle, right? Like you didn't get into running a shop, a bakery on Main Street to spend more time behind a computer. A lot of these yeah. people are retired, right? Like they, they're they actually a lot of them are retired tech workers from Atlanta that live in this area. So we're, we are two hours from Atlanta here. We're two hours from Asheville, Chattanooga, and Knoxville. So we're central but rural. There's a lot of people here that have, had corporate jobs that want nothing to do with like dealing with you know websites. If they do make a website, they have to register the domain, they have to not forget they have to find a host. there's an entire litany you know and and the internet's constantly shifting, right? Mm. <laughs> the internet is like the sands of the internet. Everyone who maintains a website knows it's like, oh, I forgot to update my SSL certificate., uh, these icons aren't loading because there's a conflict in my WordPress. It's like, we're all tech people and it's, it's, it's a major burden. And, you know, it's a time consumer, uh, kind of like just solving the problem of being online. So our premise is like, you want to be online, you understand the benefit. The reason you're not doing it is because, or if you're doing it, you're not, you're doing it in a very minimal way. That's not SEO optimized or whatever. The reasons that you're doing that is because you have an innate understanding that it's a pain to maintain a website. It's a huge cost. It's thousands of dollars. You have to like wait for a uh, webmaster to get back to you while there's old information on your page. Like anyone can log into a virtual storefront and change their information themselves like a Facebook profile. Um, And so all of their outbound, they control their outbound information, even though it's not a technical experience for them. It's a consumer experience for them because it's it's a profile on a network. So they so our value prop to them is, yeah, I get it. I understand why you didn't build a storefront, you know, or I understand why you didn't build a website because who wants to forget to register the domain and then the Korean, you know, the Korean company is selling fidget spinners on it because they repurchased it because there's traffic and whatever. And then you don't have any control over it. A lot of variables that people don't want to deal with. It's with virtual storefronts. Essentially, you go, you make the purchase, and we and it takes five minutes to make the purchase for them. We then assign that to a contract worker, a merchant ambassador. They build it out, and you just receive a text link on your, you know, on your cell phone. Like boom, in about five to seven days, and it's built for you. Um, we might call and do an interview. Uh, we scrape from all of your online profiles but it's a fully opt-in build of someone's online identity. Uh, And we include a set of keywords. We include all this robust stuff that people know has value. They aren't dummies. They know it has value. They just know that the value, that what they can do within the website framework is they aren't white collar workers. Like they're limited. Either they're going to dump $5,000 into it um, and do it right uh, and then give themselves like a, you know, flashbacks to pulling their hair out and dealing with all this stuff, or we just take care of the problem for them. So,
0: so, so. okay, so let me reiterate what I have understood is virtual short front actually connects with people who would like to have an online identity or they don't care about online identity, but you let you explain them how they how you can help them gather all the data available on their profile or their service or product, whatever they're selling or doing business with yourself without asking them, hundreds of emails, put them all together, get their content ready, put all that content in one online identity. So it's not, you're not directly in competition with, Shopify because it's like an online store for people who are running store. You're not in competition with Wix because it's a website builder for people who want to build a web. You're actually standing alone there because you're actually a one-click solution for people who do not have an online identity and they don't. Sometimes they don't care, but when but they understand that importance of it, and you make it super easy for them. Right, who all this. All these uh, gears together, things just work. Yeah, is that great?
1: That that is that is one hundred percent correct. It is it, it the the competitive space that we're in is a little weird, and actually, a lot of VC has stayed clear of this because we exist within a competitive space with Facebook and Google. Um, you know, I will tell your other founders that. There's a lot of blind spots. There's a lot of white space to build companies like this um, that exist within big tech, and it's just a matter of figuring out how big tech is failing, um, and big tech is really failing, like in in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's going it's going broke. It's obviously like Google and Facebook and these behemoths are really making a huge amount of money, but they're but they're. But there's a lot of openings, I guess, is one way to say it, in deliverables um, to the population because, for example, Facebook would be looked at as a direct competitor in this space because everyone in my market, everyone in the United States pretty much who's serving a retail market maintains a Facebook profile, a Facebook page. Um, Now, Facebook is first of all their pages facebook is impossible to navigate because it's just it's it's a clutter it's it's a it's a cluster of distraction number 1 but number 2 even more interestingly facebook's goal is to keep everyone including yeah it's yeah, yeah right so waste everyone's time for lack of a better word facebook is essentially taken on the role of television for the 21st century Um, they, they, what they want is they want people to click like about, you know, oh, there's trivia night at Hoppy Trout. I'm going to click like, but I don't want, Facebook does not want me to get out of my seat and spend three hours at Hoppy Trout. Facebook wants me to continue scrolling so that they can sell advertising. I did the numbers recently and it costs about $240 million a day to run Facebook, to run Meta. (laughs) So like, but they're not changing their business model anytime soon. Like, Part of why they're not really equipped to get local business owners' information to local businesses is because that's like if they actually achieve that objective in an effective and efficient way, then they would get, then people would spend five minutes on the platform, not 50 minutes lost on the platform scrolling through reels. Um, If it was easy for a a business owner to post on Facebook, right? and they could just get in there, get to their page somehow, find what they need to find among all of the clutter, um, get to their page, and not get distracted and not like, and they're able to just get the job done in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Then Facebook loses revenue for the 50 minutes that 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 business owner who really just wants to go and get their business done in an enterprise solution kind of way. Um, they're just another set of eyeballs for Facebook to sell advertising to. So Facebook can't really be aligned with that, with those interests. We're actually in, because we're a startup, we're, we're able to align ourselves with the interests of our, of our customer, which is getting customers in the store, um, getting information out efficiently because they pay us to be in the network. Mm-hmm. Right. So because we're an enter we're essentially, we're an enterprise solution for the smallest companies. Right. Yeah. So an enterprise solution doesn't say, Hey, we're here to waste your time. And like, Make things distracting, and yep. you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's the opposite. That's what that's what the high tier level development is—is is enterprise solutions. We're yeah. simply an enterprise solution for local
0: businesses. Local business, right? Yeah. And no, I, I want to I want to talk about where the story, the story began and thing. where the idea came from. But but before we go into it, I'm here to learn more about. Person behind this venture, you know, can you take us back to your roots? share with our listeners about your upbringing, your childhood, and how did your early experiences shape your journey and eventually led you to become an entrepreneur?
1: Sure. I'd love to talk about that. That is a major part of um, why people do things, right? Like, why do people build technology? There's some formative experience at the beginning that really makes things matter. And for me... I was born in Maine um, and Maine is a very, the town that I was born in is Bangor, Maine, which is in central Maine, uh, which is about a hundred miles north of Portland, which is the major city in Maine. And uh, that's really, it's 35,000 people, the third largest city in Maine. Uh, it's a tight knit community. Um, I don't know if you know the Morrissey song, uh, every day is like Sunday. That kind of reminds me of, of Maine. Uh, but it's um, in any case, it's, it's it's a place that—it's uh, a small community. Uh, everyone knows each other. And I had a lot of jobs growing up there. Uh, first of all, I'm not technically from Maine because my parents are, like, academic, and they moved there. To, my dad moved there for the University of Maine job, and my mom was in the symphony orchestra. Um, so as the Maine humorist Tim Sample says uh, about people like myself who are born in Maine but parents aren't from Maine, he says— if a cat has kitten, well, in the Maine accent, if a cat has kittens in the oven, you don't call them bishkits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm not officially a Mainer. Yeah, so um, in any case, uh, I grew up working, you know, uh, delivering newspapers. Uh, and then I got a job downtown, working uh, at a comic book shop and working in retail. I've worked with retail businesses um, off and on my entire life. I, I, I worked in Manhattan after I graduated from college in in Ohio at Oberlin College. Um, I worked at a a photo studio in Manhattan and then I worked independently in in New York City. For years, um, I've always worked with um, business owners and uh, as as a contract photographer, commercial photographer and editorial photographer, I would go to people's businesses. And then I worked in Georgia, like consolidating businesses into feeds to market them to like leverage audiences for marketing purposes on social before I started this project. So I've always worked with local businesses and I've always tried to figure out how networks can engage in local communities. I'm a huge fan of like local wealth because why wouldn't you be, right? So if we can divert 5% of what people in this area are spending in Amazon, right, at, on Amazon to local spending by by flooding this market with keywords like designer pens or jeans or whatever. And when people search on Google, they find those items, they find this the storefront comes up as a search result. So it's literally intercepting people doing search in this area. Like our vision is to just turn Google search into a local finder for What's around you using these keywords? So we're doing that here in in Western North Carolina. If you do a search right now for jeans in Andrews, NC, uh, the first search result will be virtual storefront for Rain Boutique. And interestingly, uh, Taylor, who runs Rain Boutique, is probably 28. And a lot of our a lot of our since since the um, post pilot. Like our pilots, we're we we're wrapping up the pilot now and taking it nationwide because we have a product now that really can serve everyone's needs. Needs, but the real traction we're getting, interestingly, is from 20-somethings, because they know, like 20-somethings who run their own business, because they know what a pain in the, it's a branding, it's a branding job, it's uh you know it's a technical job, it's a huge headache. So when they see hundred and ninety-nine dollars. Right, and that includes setup on an annual subscription basis. They're thinking that is the deal of a century for uh, getting a website solution, and it's inside of a network that's more powerful because it's a place where all the local businesses can can work together um, to be a larger presence. Right, all of those keywords go in there.
0: So, 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 okay,
1: uh, I I kind of got out of my background there. I
0: I. I you know I, I I I I grasp what you mentioned there, and 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 I want to talk about it. But before uh, going there, you mentioned about that you work with a lo- lot of local businesses. So, who whom do you think the key influences from your family, from your surrounding that played a significant role in shaping your entrepreneur spirit? You know, I would love to more hear more about it. It's okay. You move.
1: Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, I grew up in a very, um, how to put it, I grew up in a fairly liberal family that was very interested in, um, sustainability. Um, shopping locally is almost a completely apolitical issue in the United States. Um, local business is very trusted. If you spend $1 locally, your return, the return of that in that community the, the acceleration of wealth is like astronomically fast it, it's it's completely different it's like 40 percent 40 cents of that dollar stays local when you spend it here whereas if you spend it at that walmart it's it's like a dollar or, or, or a penny on a dollar or something like that so there's there's a huge impact issue here and and for me it's like if you look at all of the social problems that that uh, particularly uh places like this have so i live in a town that used to have 3500 people here in Western North Carolina Andrews um, it's post it's it's a post-industrial town that lost all of its uh, genes and uh, textile manufacturing in 1995 96 NAFTA took all of those jobs and 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 uh like sent them to Mexico and the town the town now has half the original population so it's decimated kind of it's like 1700 people this town an opportunity for this town to really like excel and, and and move forward is to keep the dollars local. And you see it all around here in, in very successful tourist towns. I was just in Blue Ridge, Georgia, yesterday. That place is booming and it's all local business. Um, so that boom of local business generates educational revenue. It generates, it solves social problems without government without government intervention in a way that's just organic. And so I, I, I look at it as, as like a, a shortcut, right? Like it's a shortcut. If I can just inform people who are like living in cabins and people retire here who are wealthy and all, that they can get like, you know, that special like, like uh, I don't know, moisturizer at the local tanning shop that they have no knowledge of because they just search for it on Google, like why not, right? Because all they do is they just drive into town and they unload their money here, as opposed to just giving it to Jeff Bezos, who doesn't and need more money. Yeah, it's yeah, and the only reason they're doing it at this point, Amazon isn't even competitive on price. I'm I, I'm sure people are aware of that, but like yeah. the only the only reason that they're doing it is out of habit. And if we can break that habit, if we can create, if we can if we can index all of these businesses around here and let them know what's available. In Google search, then we can intercept those dollars and and give them information they never had. And that is exactly what
0: Amazon did in the first place. They 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 they, they were manipulated human habits to shop online instead of going outside and shopping at the local market. So 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 let's talk about where the story begins. Where did you got this idea of virtual storefronts? So, um,
1: I had been working in marketing for almost eight years online marketing using mostly facebook instagram um like i was essentially a social media marketer um and i would sell high ticket items online so um uh, startup facebook groups for i actually sold fine art for quite some time um and the Because if you're just doing retail for socks online, I mean, the the numbers don't work out. It has to be a high ticket commission item in order for the numbers to really work out. So I did that for quite a while. And then I also worked with local businesses selling larger ticket items. Again, I did a feed that collected local businesses and, 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 and they paid a subscription fee. It was like an early version of this. Um, so I had quite a bit of experience working with local businesses and I was kind of problem solving, like troubleshooting how to use the scale of, because one of the things local businesses have an advantage of is that there's a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of small businesses in the United States of America. It's like, it employs 50% of the people in the country. It's very common that these businesses exist. So organizing them was always kind of like, I'm like, trying to put the puzzle together, you know, oh, well, we have all of these local businesses and we have like social technology, but there's all these barriers. So I was like, eventually with Facebook, I was just like, this is a mess. Like, there is no, way. like you can't effectively do the job on Facebook. They, they got $240 million they need to earn today in, in advertising money. So the opportunity is not there. You can't work with someone who is completely committed to a completely different TV model. So... That was kind of the breaking point where I was like using social media to sell local businesses, and I was like, this stuff just doesn't work, you know, Mm -hmm. and 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 that is the origin. Also, um, this all coincided with COVID. So in 2020, um, we like in, in in 2020 we were starting to look at developing. I was considering developing virtual storefronts as a component of another platform, and. That in 2020 was like, all of a sudden these businesses were getting hammered and it was, you know, e-commerce was the rage at the time. So it was like, how do we get these businesses, like at least, how do we get people to know what's in these businesses without walking in the door, right? Mm-hmm. Like huge problem. So <laughs> the, the, the the what Google tells people, and this is where Google really has failed for 20 years, is it tells the local business owner, hey, um, no problem. You can go right ahead and tell us everything about your business. All you need to do is register a domain, find a host, get a website designer. You know, like what are you talking about? Solve that problem yourself. Like, why is Google giving me
0: this insane problem to solve? Like, right? So that's right, why all these platforms, Shopify, big WordPress, yeah, this platform which takes advantage of your, um, well, not take it, but actually deliver when you on not spending too much time with understanding the yeah
1: all of those platforms are genius you know I, I think squarespace and wix and all of those i think they're all right on the right track but it still doesn't like there, there's no way to get out of the trap that you have to register a domain and like ssl certificates and there's it's still like even i remember once reading an article like the easy way to set up a wordpress site and it was like this is the easiest five minute solution it was like 11 pages long and i'm like And and I'm like, that's the problem. It's a technical problem that's not solved by Google. But Google has no problem being like, hey, business owner, no problem. We'll index everything into your business. Just set your own website up. That's a ridiculous thing to ask the public. And it's because Google's customer, again, this is another mismatch. Google doesn't care about the local business. They just host those businesses because they have to, because the public expects it. Google's real customers are M&Ms. And like the 20 million, the you know, the 2 billion people with Gmail. I mean, like yeah. the public, that's it. That, that's their real customer. Everything else is the, the merchants are an afterthought. So for our, like the, the premise behind this was, well, let's just solve that problem for merchants. And also at the same time, um, build a network around the needs of the merchants. This is the we're, we're essentially a. A first to market network that's designed specifically to fulfill the needs of merchants. And I think the reason for that is because in the United States, there's this ingrained, I mean, even worldwide, just in, in kind of capitalism's configuration, there's this ingrained like expectation that the customer is always right. You know, it's all about the customer, it's never about the people who serve the customers. We serve the people serving customers. That is. We, that is our mission here is to serve those businesses they are our clients making them happy is our number one goal we don't even have a way for people to submit reviews on virtual storefronts because we want people to be able to control we're, we're not looking to to be yelp you know we want to be away from that so and also we're 100% opt in we don't scrape the internet and then say upgrade your you know upgrade your profile on virtual storefronts they simply have to buy in in order to do it, but people are, in order to be part of the network, but people are happy to buy in because here's, again, Google's giving you this problem. Yeah. What's so, inside your storefront, you know, no one knows until you, what's inside your store. No, Google has no clue until you tell
0: it. You tell it, you yeah. tell Google. Yeah. yeah. So, so tell, tell me, do one thing. A lot of, a lot of founders, or a lot of business owners, they struggle with the fact that they don't know how to market their business. And you're coming into the scene telling them for, for hundred, two hundred dollars, two hundred bucks, they you will set up their help them set up their online identity with virtual store funds, but you will also make sure that they will get a lot of traction right? with the help of Google, the mighty Google, to be to be fair. Yeah. Good mining Google. Google yeah. Walk me through the step by step process what your storefront does in order to provide a storefront, let's say for me, for a bakery shop, and how will you optimize it for locally, uh, for me, so that local people can come and buy the bread I make from my mom's secrets recipe?
1: Well, that is a great question. First of all, Google will help you sell your bread because Google knows you're a bakery. Right, so like that's actually not the problem that we solve. We solve the problem that's all around that problem. So Google knows you're a bakery, but and, and I'm, I'm, glad that you mentioned, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned. I'm glad that you mentioned. I'm going to go ahead and share a screen if that's
0: okay, because I think this is a perfect time to demo. But you have to you have to also walk because uh, walk me through the website while talking about it because it's going to be on the podcast, right? So just make sure. you Oh yeah. I'm going to walk you through the whole thing while I demo. Yeah.
1: So, are you? Can you see the search? Yeah. So check this out. We're going to look at woodwork woodworking crafts in Andrews, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Do you see this result right here? Mm-hmm. This is our local bakery. Okay. <laughs> so, like. Do you see so wrap your head around that for a second. We're telling Google that this place is this place is primarily a bakery. We're telling Google that um, this store has far more than baked goods. We're fully informing Google about what's inside this this uh, store. So that see, do you see what we're doing? We're educating Google about what's available locally. Mm. Um, and we do that by technically keyword stuffing. This is something that Google says is a huge no-no, but right. So this is a list of keywords inside a virtual storefront that describes the business. But here's Google's dilemma. We're providing authentic collaborative information with these businesses that Google doesn't know anything about, except that you can get bread there. Google does know that Google knows you can get beer at the brewery. Google does not know you can get hummus at the brewery. So it's, so we're providing all of this authentic information. You can see woodworking crafts is right here. Hmm. Right. So we're we're explaining to Google that this unique business, which has indeed woodworking crafts, um is uh it is is a the local bakery. Strange, right? right. So yeah. that's the kind of premise that the, the our premise is that is that we need to make sure that the businesses that the businesses are fully described um with the keywords. And again, this this list of keywords. I, I'll stop sharing now. Um this list that list of keywords is technically keyword stuffing, right? So Google says, never do that. Like that's against our rules. You're keyword stuffing, right? And technically we are, but at the same time, we're actually <laughs> at the same time, we're like, here's how we present authentic information to you. Now your machines can make a decision about how they want to use it. And it's really at the end of the day, Google's obligation, when there's good inf- quality information, it's Google's obligation. And I'm sure there's some founders out there that this'll get your brain churning. But like, like when you give Google legit information in whatever form it might be, they
0: Google really has to get over it. You know, like- but, but The question is, I understand that you have stopped keyword, and yeah. you generally want to tell Google the information, but not necessarily every page ranks on the first page of Google, especially for these keywords. Because I've right. heard it, I'm not a SEO specialist, but I've heard it from several people from in my interviews, etc. That it's not just about giving the information; it's also about backing and 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 I don't know. Really? Right. There's there,
1: there's there's a whole lot to SEM. Yeah. Like the, the the art form of SEO. I'm not. What I what I'm what I'm getting at is that the art form of SEO is its own thing, right? Mm-hmm. But but like the perfect SEO page is a landing page of marketing copy that no one reads. That's completely useless to someone who lands there. Right. Like that's what Google is telling us is really useful. Right. So what I'm saying is Google's simply gonna have to adapt to the future of how information is presented to it. Like, like, so I'm not poo-pooing on what people what the 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 wisdom of SEO because I understand that there's a huge amount of information, but at the same time, Google's job is to know things. And if it can't if, if it if it refuses to know things because those things don't come in the exact form that it dictates then it's failing at its job. Ironically, Google is um, not doing that. Google is indexing. uh, We have uh, 125 businesses in our pilot right now. Google is indexing those pages. In other words, they're showing up in Google search results. Our storefronts are showing up for all kinds of searches um, 30,000 times a month. That was 5,000. It was 5,000 at the beginning of the year um, for about, 70 pages now six months later at the end of our pilot it's thirty thousand thirty thousand times that we're showing up so Google's machines are contradicting Google's stated policy because the machines are saying oh my god well these people are actually opening the door so that I can see inside this business you know and see what's in there that's actually really useful information I don't really like how it's here but so it's a it's a strange phenomena but it's it's one way of saying that like If you do something that's truly authentic and it's very authentic to like work directly with a business owner to create their profile, I mean, Yelp, they just, they just scrape the internet and they spit out a profile and they call you, Hey, do you want to be featured? It's going to cost, you know, click that box and it'll cost all these things. Like that's not collaborative. That's like, we already have you in our system and pay us to make you more visible. Whereas ours is you're not in our system until you make a purchase from us, and then we build your identity with you. We take all of the information, we go to your store, we take all the information that is available and we build it out and we do it quickly and we publish it and we have Google index it. So it's it's a unique solution. It's an invention,
0: really, is what I would call it. So, 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 so correct me, if I already have a bakery website, but I also have an identity on Virtual Storefront, that means my virtual storefront subdomain website will rank on the first page and that people go on that page and then they click on my website link to go on my website, right?
1: So this this is a really in the weeds question because what Google does in search results is actually multifaceted and like no one really knows what the secret sauce is. I can speak to what actually happens in many cases. So the three different ways in which people might find um, homespun hobbies if they're looking for bread or if they're looking for something that's more common. Google really, like the Google business listing understands that. Google's machines know that bakeries, and sometimes they're wrong. Like they'll say they have cupcakes, but they don't have cupcakes. So they just assume they do because they're a bakery. Um, so like Google knows all of that part. And when you type in like bakery near me... Um, Google's own Google Business Listing has got that covered. You know, beer. I need craft beer. It's Google's own business listing has got the Hobby Trout Brewery covered. You know, they know about that. Um, it's the the person's websites. Generally speaking, these websites they don't have much information. They they have most people's business websites have significantly less useful information than a virtual storefront does. Right. Um, so like there's nothing on their website uh, at homespun hobbies about woodworking crafts because how would they ever get into that that would be like page 10 of like copy that they're technically writing for SEO optimization they would never even get there they have a one pager that 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 has a kind of a rundown just to have a web presence so yeah. we're we're giving a much more in-depth pro- profile so another way in which we might show up in search results and and why we have web designers who recommend us to be a supplement to a even enterprise websites for larger local businesses is because in places, Google has its own internal ranking called places. Um, I'm sure everyone's familiar with it. I could show you how that works. Um, the, that internal ranking um, is another, another place that Google will spit out search results as well. So it's not always the virtual storefront, but virtual storefronts can be informing Google about things that put it into places or rank it higher in places. Um, does that make sense? It's 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 kind of a mess, but like yeah. that's that's how online search is. So
0: yeah, I would, um, this conversation is so interesting because a lot of my listeners got followers and they would like to know more and and but unfortunately we are heading towards the end. So I would like to take I would like to pick from your brain three tips for founders. Which they could use on their websites to rank on their mobile, let's say, from somebody who already knows how to do it.
1: Well, I don't know that I can speak directly to people's website. I can tell you go get yourself a virtual. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, no, but we, we like, um, I think that there's. I will give a search tip. I think that is a very um, that that kind of spans the ages. Uh, I actually had this experience yesterday at a live edge wood shop. So we were at this place uh, that creates these almost conference tables, right? And they have beautiful tables, but all of their branding, none of it says conference tables. So here's my SEO search tip: is think about what you're doing, not in terms of necessarily, I understand that most people who are doing search, you have to think in terms of what the searcher is looking for, not in terms of like what you use as lingo internally. Um, but also think about how what you're doing is um, can be reframed into another useful thing, right? So everyone who's doing something, if you're putting your life into something, which founders are what it's exactly what founders are doing. If you're putting your life into something then and it's growing and you want it to grow, then it has to have like three, four, five different kinds of facets to it. Right. And if and and it's really because you're a translator of everything that you do by default, which is a huge job that all founders have, and it's a very hard job, um, you know, you it's you're in charge of the language and you're in charge of like the communicating and under, making people understand what you do. If you figure out what it is you do that you can look at that live edge table, you know, and that's what's said. Live edge table. And I walked in when I walked into this customer, and they're like, and I, sa- "I said, I said, this is a conference table. I would put conference table in your storefront because we're talking about we're talking about um, wood pieces that are five thousand, six thousand dollars each, you know, and and I'm like, this is actually a really economical conference table that you're selling here." And they were like, "Oh, we never thought of that." I'm like, "They don't have it on their business card. They don't have it anywhere. They don't have it on their website." That kind of thinking, of like reframing what you do in another use, is I think I think it's a um, it's a challenge to step out of your own frame of reference, your own point of view. You could talk to other people about how they see you as well. That's also getting that feedback is great. So that would be one thing I would I would recommend is figuring out
0: how you fit in all kinds of different places. Do you have any tools which you could recommend to our listeners to yes. understand how to think differently or come up with different keyword ideas?
1: Yes. Well, I, I, since we're talking to founders, I think that it's important to, um, I think I should just talk on a, on a more um, elemental level about like how I operate day to day. Um, like essentially like personal hacks on how to get productivity hacks. And one of those is uh, one of my, my number one productivity hack is, and this is, this is helpful almost very rarely is it not helpful, um, is to, is to document what I'm doing every day as soon as possible. When I get a breather, I go back, I block every three hour time period of my day into a notes app. Um, and it's an ongoing chronology of, I mean, it's a diary as, as you would call, like a, bit, a work diary. Um, but if you go through and you just write down, if everyone who's watching this video right now goes to a notes app and, says, and, and and writes the date at the top for yesterday, and then chronologically goes through and just writes down everything that they've done, you're gonna make so much more sense of what you're gonna be doing now and in the future, because you see what you see patterns in your own behavior in your own, um, it's like you are prioritizing your own self all the time, your your own time as a, as a as a founder. And if you can actually look and see how you're prioritizing it, it's much easier to make the next decision. And not only make the next decision, but make it informed based on your own habits and your own um, your, your your own uh, workflow. And the other thing that's awesome is you can you can flag stuff that's not working. You know, it's like, wow, I spent five hours, you know, uh, like there's stuff that I do that's, that's very time consuming, like events. I had to cut out events because events were what I call, um, maximum effort, least impact. You know, the other, here's another really important, I think, hack is like, evaluate everything that you're doing in terms of like, is is this, and you may not know, but try to get to the point where you do know, like this is something that has, it's the least amount of effort. It's It takes the least effort from me because you're just one person on a timeline. I'm actually a solo founder. So it's, it's kind of crazy. I do have a lot of help. I, I do have a lot of assistance and I don't do technical development. I guide it, but I don't do it. So, but look at what you're doing and say, what is it I can do that has the least amount of effort that has the most impact? Like for us, it's like sales, or you know, it's like sales. If I sell ten storefronts, you know, next week, every every conversation with um, every conversation with funders is going to be easier. Like it, it's um, it's like it's it's elemental. It's like figuring out the thing that's because it's like sales is so essential to what it is you're doing that the impact of it isn't just that I have another $199 in the bank. The impact of it is a measurable outcome that really matters, you know, for this business. And also like is a metric that moves the needle in other ways. So I I would really recommend evaluating, you know, what's the least effort, highest... uh, I actually have a note, right? (laughs) This is a note to self. It's... Oh, it's all...
0: Max impact, least effort. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, great. 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 Um, so, you know, that's 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 good. But unfortunately, we are heading towards the end of our interview. But I have a quick gem for you. We have a light round with six random questions from okay. our listeners from our uh, episodes. Um, I am going to ask you these six questions and you just have to answer them as quickly as possible. you ready. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I'm ready. What's one of the best pieces of business advice you have received?
1: Don't optimize too early. I'm going to go right back to that one. That was really great. And sell when you need to.
0: Okay. What book would you recommend to our audience and why?
1: Oh darn that's really hard. Um I would recommend fiction. Like I would recommend uh something that's that that really takes your mind off things because long focused reading um I read John McDonald books. They're old detective novels that are really well written from the 50s and the it just helps your mind. Like reading helps your mind understand things in different ways. I'll read something and it'll just like, like it, it's like something will pop up that's unrelated to the reading about work because it gives your mind a rest, but it, and, but it keeps it active at the same time. So I'm a huge fan of reading. I'm also the son of an English professor, so I'm a little biased.
0: <laughs> okay. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder?
1: Um not doing things (laughs) so um not reacting like this is you like a lot of the times you really have to keep your cool because there's a lot coming at you and if one of the maxims of life is you can't control what happens to you but you can control your response to what happens to you and i've found that controlling my response to what happens to me really helps and also knowing Um, things that have negative impacts and like just avoiding those things, uh, almost like, a, um, like just by, just, 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 um, by habit would be, even if it's not like convenient, I will avoid things that are, that are negative. Um, but yeah, just how you react, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work to, to not react. The queen of England used to say that, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah
1: her job was to like not not
0: get involved you know
1: <laughs> or whatever
0: yeah. uh, okay what's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit um well
1: simple note is my number one productivity tool if um every my the it's it's the automatic it's automatics uh, so essentially it's uh wordpress's free tool it is it works on every single device um it is amazing. I use it for publishing. I publish a timeline called VS Headlines. Um, that's just a simple chronology, um, starting with most recent at top. But I also use it. I, I create a note for each week that I'm working every every week. Like this is the forty-first week of the of the year, and so this that note is an ongoing note, and then that'll be archived in Simple Note. It's just it's
0: just text, and it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. What's a new or crazy business idea you would love to pursue if you had time? Are you looking for the craziest business idea or... Okay.
1: So... <laughs> All right. I think that who whoever does 3D printing needs to 3D print um, toilet paper holders with, with like Elon Musk and with... Uh, I don't know, like Mark Zuckerberg, you know, like 3D printing toilet paper holders for for like tech figures that are you know are, are tech icons. I think that would be funny. Yeah, that's yeah. nice.
0: That's nice. And last, I mean, that's really really random. Yeah, but it's, yeah, yeah. And last, uh, last question is: What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: Uh, I think that probably most people don't know that I was uh, a professional, I, I worked in as a professional career photographer in New York City and Minneapolis for m- most of my career um, doing marketing in terms of image making and that what I'm doing now is an outgrowth of that. It's it's a, a presentation to uh, the public of, you know, it's not just technology that we're doing, it's a presentation to the public of a, of a business. So I have a whole like career working you know, at at Target and 3M and all of these other different businesses um that are major corporations and uh but as a, as an independent contractor, as a photographer.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Great. Well thobin, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story and backing the last few years of building this business and so on up and stuff. People wanna check out Richard Sortman. What's the best way to do that? What's the website?
1: So it's the, the best way to do it, I, I think, is this so huge thing that was overcome this year was translating my in-person pitch to a digital pitch. And we really had to get into that. This is a um, massive effort. It's .co. I call it the .co page because it's virtual storefronts.co is our sales page. .com is where the actual tool is. Um, the tool itself is amazing. Uh, we just opened a nationwide feed. Um, we have feed automation. Um, on virtual storefronts. But if you want to learn about the product, I think that you should really, and if you want to learn about sales, uh, the contractor that we got to help us with this and um, did a great job, his name is Paul Counts, and we built a storefront for him. Uh, He's, you know, so he's ranking for search terms in Seattle uh, as a digital marketer. So um, I would go to virtualstorefronts.co and look at that pitch because it is a major achievement to translate something that's and and many of your founders have this issue it's like i've invented something you know like how do i translate that to um how do i translate that to something that people the public can look at and and this was a real it took us months to do working together sure. um, so if anyone's looking for um help with that i know just the guy so <laughs> He, yeah. Like sale marketing, as everyone knows, marketing is one thing. Driving traffic is one thing. Yeah, we can get the clicks there. The question is, once they get there, the real the real work, the real roll up your sleeves work comes when it comes to like the actual clicking that button button and making, you know, someone actually making the sale. And then that's
0: that's that's yeah. that's a really important sure. thing. Yeah. So if if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to, to do that?
1: Uh, I would say my Facebook profile is, is like essentially a public profile. Um, and that's just, if you just Google Tobin, uh, virtual storefronts, Facebook, you'll find me anywhere. Uh, LinkedIn would be the way to, to really, in terms of professional, like, um, you know, lateral movement. And then we virtual storefronts itself can be followed on any platform. So, uh, TikTok. Uh, we use Buffer to, to put out our stuff. Buffer is a great great platform. Highly recommend that yeah. tool. Um, so, yeah, we just put out posts and, and, and automate those to X, formerly Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And we do have a group on Facebook if you want to join that. It's called Technology Without the Work. Okay. Um, and uh, that's essentially our support and community group for people who are interested in virtual storefronts and want to track what's going on.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Toby, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your inspiring journey and the impactful work you're doing through Virtual Store. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, on this podcast.
1: It's been great being here. Um thanks Ash for having me and I, I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to put together all of this production. And I mean it's it's not an easy job. So it's thank it's you. good to be here.
0: Thanks. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of our Founders Podcast. I hope you found our conversation with so insightful and inspiring. If you're a founder or an industry expert interested in sharing your story on our Founders Podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. Simply email me at ash at If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay updated on our future interviews with proven founders and industry experts. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and keep building.